0: Founded at the beginning of the UK lockdown, A bitlit is about conversation, celebrating and exploring theatre, literature and creative work across all periods and of all kinds. We've talked to professional wrestlers and about ghostbusters and medieval sex positivity. We've looked at the histories of race, gender and sexuality. We've followed migrating coconuts and the history of wine and cheese. We've gone from Jane Austen and Shakespeare to EastEnders, via the history of early television, young adult fiction, photography, animation, and documentary making. And with over 100 films already, many other subjects as well. Join the conversations at our website, abitlit.co, or on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, at abitlit. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this uh, edition of BitLit. this week we're going to be talking about The Alchemist, Ben Johnson's play, um, and we've got three people to talk about it today. We're just going to do introductions really quickly and then get straight into the discussion. So my name's Tom. I work at uh, Tom Harrison, I should say. I work at the universities in, of Newcastle and Edinburgh in the United Kingdom.
1: Derek. I, I'm, I'm Derek Dunn. I'm a, a lecturer at Cardiff University, although I found myself in uh, Lombardy for the you know, under quarantine at the moment. Generally, I'm a Shakespearean, but today I'm very much team, team Johnson.
2: And I'm Paul Saltzman. I'm an emeritus professor at La Trobe University, and I'm talking to you from Melbourne. And I'm just going to kick us off by saying a few brief things about Ben Johnson and about the play um, before we, we move on from there. So Johnson was a contemporary of Shakespeare's, He wrote um, comedies, tragedies, poetry, masks. The Alchemist was performed in 1610, and it started out in London, but because there was in fact um, plague in London at the time, it was apparently moved to Oxford. The plague that struck in 1610 was one of a number of of waves of plague that uh, affected Europe and Britain at the time. Um, when there was plague, the theatres shut, so people like Johnson found themselves as so many people in the arts industries are finding themselves at the moment, uh, out of work. Um, the Alchemist itself uh, is, is a play that makes much of the fact that the plague is raging in London at the time. It's It's set in London. And I'm going to read you Johnson's argument about the play, which is a kind of outline of what... Um, happens but just to uh, explain very briefly before I read the argument out um, the play is set in a house in London and the wealthy owner of the house because the plague has been raging has escaped to his country house in Kent where he is self isolating as a number of wealthy people are at the moment uh, and he's decided that he's not going to come back to his house until the death rate has gone down to one a week um, he's left in charge of the house his butler, and his butler has taken the opportunity of having the house to himself uh, to engage uh, a pair of con artists, um, uh, a so-called alchemist called Subtle, um, and a prostitute called Dole, and he himself, Jeremy the butler, has decided to turn himself into Captain Face, and between the three of them, they take advantage of the control of the house to um, con a whole series of people based around the idea that Subtle the Alchemist is actually in the process of creating the Philosopher's Stone, turning metal into gold, bringing um, eternal life and wealth to everyone. So this is Johnson's argument, which uh, he prints at the beginning of um, the first edition of the play. The sickness, that's the plague hot, a master quit for fear his house in town and left one servant there ease him corrupted and gave means to know a cheater and his punk who now brought low leaving their narrow practice were become cousiners at large and only wanting some house to set up with him they here contract each for a share and all begin to act much company they draw and much abuse in casting figures telling fortunes news selling of flies a fly is a kind of little familiar Uh, flat baudry with the stone till it and they and all in fume are gone. So the centre of the play really, as the plague rages outside, is the ability of these three characters in particular to transform themselves, Um, to transform themselves into everything from the prostitute who turns herself into a fairy queen to gull one particular young man, um, all the way through to the idea that down in the basement, the Alchemist is beavering away in his laboratory, um creating the philosopher's Stone, which of course, amongst other things, will cure people of the plague um, so that's the heart of the play, and for me the the heart of the play is about transformation derek
1: um, um, yeah i i I know I, I probably haven't meant to interrupt quite yet, but in when you read it there, a new line really popped out at me, which was who now brought low, like that they were doing okay for themselves. But then because of the plague, they've kind of gone to another level of, of lowness. They're sort of reduced, like sort of straightened circumstances. And yeah, again, just uh, we were talking, we've, we've talked about how it sort of echoes what people are suffering at the moment. And I just, Mm -hmm. I had read this so many times and that line had never stood out before. That's all.
0: Mm,
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Tom, do you want to,
2: kicking in at this point
0: yeah well i was I was just going to um, uh, one of the things that interests me most about the play is about how it 's so tied in with um, notions of theatricality so the the three central characters the venture tripartites they are like a little um, uh, improvisatory troupe who are who are, who are um, orchestrating everything that's going on in the house but to an extent, on the back foot all the time, um, all the way through the play, there's this constant uh, attention to time. So characters are being told to come back at one o'clock or come back in, in a couple of hours, and everything is punctuated by the by the knock at the door. <laughs> Juddering my laptop there, um, yeah, by the knock at the door and more and more people coming in. And um, one yeah, one of the things that, that interests me so much about the play is how closely it aligns with the process or the experience of a play going itself so audiences who are coming in to watch this play who are to an extent uh, complicit in the in the in the gulling that takes place because they are uh, they have a privileged position watching uh, the the tripartite at work they are sort of part of this 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 process of um, uh, of gulling and conning and uh, the great thing about the play is that right at the ends the joke is turned back on the the audience, like so many of Johnson's comedies. He, he sort of uh, he di- displays these these um, these characters for satire and, and mockery all the way through, and then turns the mirror on the audience at the end by saying, "Oh well, you know, you too have just paid uh, a certain amount of gold to these alchemists who are actually players uh, to ultimately." see something that's that's no more yielding but a dream you know it's it's something that actually doesn't have any substance in itself and how close is that to the alchemical project that face and subtle and, and dull seem to be pursuing i'd say quite close
2: <laughs> yep
0: and also derek um the the idea about uh, the idea that you were talking about about smell in the alchemist and odor and you know that sort of links yeah up, isn't it
1: well, that was the other line in the argument that had stood out for me. Like the third uh, word to last is fume and 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 fume and fumigation kind of comes up a few times, but I do feel that I kind of cut Paul off. So Paul, I'd like to hear more from you about um, the play, honestly.
2: Oh, okay. Well, one of the things that's always fascinated me about it is that there are moments in the play, I think, where you feel alchemy really is going on. It's going on, um, in a way that fools the people who are being fooled, you know, down in the basement, something is is happening. At the very beginning of the play, we're told that in fact, Face says, so Face is Jeremy the butler says, you know, I've furnished you with the material that you need, he says to to Suttle, to set up a laboratory in the basement. We never get to see the laboratory the characters don't actually get to see the laboratory, but it's brought into being through language, which is Johnson's big, big deal. You know, everyone in this play speaks a particular kind of um, language that belongs to either their profession or to their desires. And it's the same with the creation of the, of the alchemy. The alchemy is actually, I think, brought into being so that there are moments when in the audience you think, what is going on in that, in that cellar? Um, and we find out at the end that, you know, the cellar is blown up supposedly um and and you know the the remains of what was down there maybe there was an alchemical laboratory and what i think that tells us is like what you're saying tom that um this is partly about the magic of the theater Mm -hmm. which in johnson's time was you know a bare stage that brought into being all this kind of sense of felt material that that only exists through the words that the, that the actors are speaking. Um, so to me, that's, that's part of the magic of, of the play, that and the comedy, because it's also a slapstick play. Mm. It's, you know, it's a farcical play where you were saying, to Tom, that you know, there's constant knocking at the door. There's you know, one character being shut up in a toilet to keep him out of the way when other things are going on. There are people who come in one door, go out the other door, just like that kind of sense of slapstick farts that... Um, that we see. So it's a very fast moving comedy as well.
1: Yeah. And and you mentioned there the explosion um, that happens and that ties in a little bit with the sort of, that sort of the possibility of smell emanating out into the audience. But uh, um, Tom, were you also going to pick up on the the Novo Orbe speech?
0: Um, Yeah. (laughs) Well, I suppose. So that's the, the speech that, um, uh, epicure mammon uh speaks which is probably one of the the greatest uh character names in uh early modern modern theater
1: he's got a a skill for that for sure
0: yeah yeah and he he talks about um epicure mammon is is particularly interested in the the philosopher's stone and he talks about its effects you know there's this wonderful speech where he talks about um uh (laughs) you know he's going to have so much money that he's going to uh You know, have these harems around him that are just full of uh, dripping with jewels and gold and so on. And he's this wonderful image of him walking naked amongst his succubi and and so on. But he talks about he talks about the transformative power of the the Philosopher's Stone creating uh, a, a new world, Novo Orbe. Which connects in, in the imagery that he uses, he connects that with the new worlds as as, as we'd know uh, today, or uh, the early moderns would have known. So, you know, uh, the Americas in particular. And so, I think in, in that way, there's a, there's a nice correspondence between the sort of exaggerated uh, fantastical dreams that alchemists promised and the very real um, uh, colonial sort of expansionist dreams that were available in the period and um, and, and Mammon is, is, is someone who you know he's he's so effusive in his language that he conjures this sort of um, this sort of stuff up with, with his words and that's the that's the, the great thing about that character and the play at large that as you were saying Paul Johnson's able to conjure so much just with the the language that the characters um, sort of put out and, and in a way they do achieve um, uh, their fantasies of sorts, because they're so um, caught up with what you know, what they're thinking about, what they're obsessing over. So yeah, great and, speech, but, but i will say.
1: But like again, that seems to me to sort of um, kind of reverberate to what we're talking about now. Those kind of think pieces have already started to circulate. Oh, what will the new reality be mm. after um, sort of COVID nineteen, after a pandemic like this? So it is. It's one of those. Weird opportunities that it's destructive, but also there's an awareness that something new has to be built in its place, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was, yeah, I, I certainly was surprised to, you know, Shakespeare is kind of known as this, you know, um, trans historical writer, and Johnson, you, you know, Johnson's the very person who said, not um, not for an age before all time. And in a way, it's usually read by critics as, yeah, Johnson is for an age. But to me, this one speaks so loudly to, to what's, mm. um, you know, to, to, you know, people having to, to shift, you know, to, to sort of cause and to, to do what they have to do to survive when um, times are tough. People literally being locked into a house together and they argue. You know, they've got a contract. Right. But at several points, they say, listen, you're not you're not uh, obeying the rules. You know, um, you're you're breaking the terms of our uh, our, our indenture, our relationship. And I just again, you know, I'm, maybe I've just been in an apartment with three other people for for too long, but I I, I can really identify <laughs> with that, you know. It's absolutely right. the The
2: play's got a fantastic opening where, indeed, Face and Subtle are having a furious argument, and the person who has to step in to stop the argument is Doll, who is a fascinating character, I think, because you know her name is again it's another Johnsonian name, Doll Common. So at one level she's a common prostitute. At another level, she's just as good at. Disguised as the two men are, but at the beginning of the play, she's seen as being much smarter by saying, Look, if stop fighting with each other because we've got a job to do, and the job is to extract the maximum amount of money from these gullible people. And if you keep going at each other, it's not going to work. So, the beginning of the play is full of male insults and kind of, you know, minds bigger than yours, and the woman cutting through and saying,
1: Shut up guys. This is what we've got to do. Let's let's do it. Mm. And and I noticed that in the persons of the play, uh, uh, subtle is the alchemist faces the housekeeper. Dolcommon is called their colleague. And again, that's a little bit surprising. You would expect her to be down as a punk, a courtesan or what, or, or you know, some other kind of roguish name, but she's down as a kind of co-worker, you know? Mm. Uh, and like you say, she does kind of hold it together at at various points.
0: Mm. And there's a reference um. to, to the, the, the Commonwealth, isn't there? And, and, uh, they possess all things in common. And so, yeah, that's, that's mm. uh, obviously playing on, on her name as well as, uh, as doll common, but it's, it's drawing out this, uh, this, this vision of equality that, um, that seems to animate the, the trio as they move through. And then obviously that starts to come undone towards the end. At, at heart, I think it's, it's a, it seems to me quite a conservative piece in that actually, as as you were saying, Derek, there is this, um, it has got this sort of think piece sort of quality to it, where you know what would happen if all the all the fetters were off, all the constraints were were, were removed, and people had the space in which to do you know whatever they wanted. And the the, the vision that Johnson presents here is that well, you get people ripping people off, you, you know, once once the uh, the law is out of the way, and, and, and so on. And uh, a master's authority is gone. Then it's time to <laughs> make a lot of money. And I think that at the end of the play, when Face at least claims that he's invited uh, Truewit, his master, back, it sort of undermines that that um, uh, that equality that seems to be um, uh, articulated at the start. And then it becomes something a bit more a bit more cynical. Whether he did actually do that or not, I suppose is another question. But it's, it's definitely, it's of interest to me that by the end of the play we get a, a sort of reassertion of authority with, um, uh, with Lovewit uh, coming back and and sort of taking back the house and marrying the the rich widow that everyone was after. I don't know whether.
1: Yeah, I might read a little bit of that scene just because, again, it ties in. Um, you mentioned at the start that I wanted to talk about smell. Well, what does smell have to do with this play or the plague? I read a really great um, chapter, which is open access, available open access at the moment, uh, by Holly Duggan called Smelling Disease. And the idea there was that the plague is a smell or is some sort of, um, you know, invisible um entity that's being breathed in so what you need to do is get a stronger smell to kind of repel it or to you know to keep it out so this is where the idea of pomanders come along Mm. and people would have um perfume or strong spices or even in some cases i've heard of dung being used because that smell is strong enough to sort of again um keep you know keep out the the plague and and i think that's actually kind of operating a little bit in that scene that um paul mentioned where someone is stuffed in a privy and they they, he says oh you know are is the privy lodgings uh, are they perfumed and he says yeah the the fumigation is somewhat strong and i think that's exactly um what's happening so then when when um uh, lovewood arrives Back, there's this little exchange between Lovewit and his sort of um, servant-turned-con-artist, Face. Face says, the house, sir, has been visited, like visited by the plague. Lovewit, what, with the plague? Stand now then further, you know, like early modern social distancing. No, sir, I had it not. Who had it then? I left none else but thee in the house. Yes, sir, my fellow, the cat that kept the buttery, had it on her a week, a week before I spied it. So again, the cat was asymptomatic for a week there. <laughs> and so I shut the house up for a month. How? And then he says, purposing then, sir, to have burnt rose vinegar, so rose water, um, treacle and tar, uh, and have it made sweet that you should never have known it. You know, he's going to sort of fumigate the place on a quite literal way uh, before his master comes back. And then Lovewit's line again uh, speaks to where we are now. Uh, breathe less and farther off he's like oh no this guy has been in contact I mean I don't know I, I you know I don't know about you but I've heard um, people going for jogs saying you know no I don't want you two meter, you know less than two meters from me and mm-hmm. um, like and this is a real concern then and now mm-hmm.
0: yeah you definitely Absolutely. didn't at those, those sections with new agency sorry Paul I, I interrupt
2: no, no, that's all right. I was just, I was going to actually take up what you were saying, Tom, about I agree that there is a kind of conservative bent at the end of the play at one level. But at another level, of course, what Lovewit does when he comes back is benefit from um, the, the, the um, tricks that have been played. And in a sense, he's not a real authority figure so much as someone who takes ownership of what the um, trio have actually set up for him. Mm. So, you know, I like to think of it as being a little bit balanced between the kind of chaos and world turned upside down that occurs when the plague is raging when the plague diminishes and apparent authority comes back. It's not the authority, for example, of the officers who come into the house and who love whip then says, You know, no, it's not a problem here. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's someone who stands in, in fact to be the ultimate beneficiary of something that he in fact accedes to. That you know, it's fine that face that, that, that the butler has done what he's done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose that's 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 a good um um extra nuance to add to that. I'm not. To, to add to that again, um, I suppose, from a theatrical point of view it 's very interesting that towards the end of the play, when Lovewit seems to have uh, triumphed over all you know he's got he 's got exactly what he wants, he hands over the authority of the epilogue essentially back to face doesn 't he so the last mm-hmm. the last person that we hear from as audience members uh, is this is this tricks character rather than the you know the supposedly um, uh, most sociable, uh, socially uh, you know, esteemed character and and faces appeal to the audience and says, You who are my country I think is you know that, that that is the precise moment where audiences are really encouraged to think that the the trio the tricksters that we 've been following all the way through the through the play we are on their side more than we are with uh, say Lovewit or, or other characters mm. uh, and, and just to tie in with what you were saying, Derek, about uh the idea of smell running through the alchemist and um, and and corruption, there is this uh, this preoccupation towards the end of the plate with uh the the tripartite's actions being figured as a stink as a like a sort of noxious smell that spreads out of the house itself and infects other people and I think again it's a very interesting moment that. One of the last things Lovewitch says in the in the Alchemist is "Fill a pipe full, Jeremy," or, you know, the, the name of uh, Face, uh, and and so we get this possible image of these characters smoking together on stage. Another noxious, uh, um, odorous substance. But then, on that occasion, from the New World, no less. It's what? Sorry, from the New from world. the New World, no, yeah, no less. Of course, yeah. So, um, it, and and it's it's one of those moments where it, it's sort of like the the stench of corruption has been tamed into this socially acceptable form that master and servant can 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 take pleasure in at the end of the play. So it's yeah, I, I mean, it's a it's a very interesting point to think about smell in relation to the alchemist. And this is the time in which to do it, really, isn't it? Uh,
1: yeah. Any, any final thoughts from from people?
2: Um, only that on it's it, yeah, only that it's a play that it once you see it you never forget it and that there was an RSC performance four years ago but it's you know I would only say it not performed often enough and you know when the theatres open again when the play has has gone you know I would suggest that performance of The Alchemist is 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 definitely worth thinking about.
1: Yeah, for sure. I Even now when I watch um, things on TV, uh, like you're weirdly kind of tuned into that social distancing thing. I'm like, that's, you know, they're hugging. This is, you know, they're, they're not observing. So I think putting it on play, uh, putting it on after this period w- would be like transformative for sure.
0: So there's an invitation for theatre makers. Uh, yeah, see, <laughs>
1: yeah, see if there's any theatre makers out there, we could uh, do some workshopping.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, I think that's about it, isn't it? So we'll we'll draw this to a close. So uh, goodbye from 2020's venture tripartite, everyone. And maybe (laughs) see you at some point in the future. Here's hoping.